Hi Temple family and anyone else who's joining us online. My name is Jay. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Temple. And I just got to say right from the outset, uh, this still weirds me out. Speaking to a rectangular box with a single glass eye that records everything that I do and say, all of my uh, fumbles and mistakes, uh, my eye twitches, um, and speaking into a microphone and hoping that it picks everything up. I know they say just picture uh, faces of people that you know and love and that makes everything easier. It doesn't. I got R2-D2 in front of me just recording everything and oh, if I make a mistake then I gotta start all over. So I'm looking forward to in-person gathering as much as the next guy. But as the government has been loosening restrictions and, and uh, churches are starting to open up and we're starting to plan and focus on opening ourselves um, and all the work that goes into that, I got a question that keeps coming up. Why? The gift of technology, which we're utilizing right now, has given us the ability to kind of get everything that we need as far as church stuff, right? I mean, we've got Zoom calls and FaceTime calls where we can, we can interact with each other and see each other. Uh, you know, we're so afraid of disease now, it's not like we're going to be uh, shaking hands or hugging or greeting anybody with the holy kiss. Um, so why do we need to get back together? There's great preachers online, there's great sermons online, there's music online that we can use. We've kind of got everything that we need in a virtual sense. So why get back together? The answer that keeps coming up is fellowship. We need fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? To most people, fellowship is uh, shaking hands, uh, saying hello, um, kind of getting caught up a little bit. It's, it's, a, it's a socializing type of thing. It's, it's uh, connecting with people. But I think the Bible actually describes fellowship in, an, in a broader scope, and it's, a, and it's a deeper thing. And so as we continue our series in the book of Philippians, uh, I just want to ask you to turn to Philippians 4. We're going to look at uh, verses 14 through 20. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to invoke uh, verses 10 through 13 as well. I know Kyle did a great job of preaching on that um, almost a month ago now. Uh, but we're going to focus on uh, uh, Philippians 4, 14 through 20. It's not a difficult passage to exegete, but it requires a ton of cross-referencing. It's a strange passage. There's no commands. There's very little teaching um, it's really just looking at an example. Paul, Paul is actually just writing a thank you letter because he got a bunch of stuff from his little church plant in Philippi. Um, and so, we, I mean, we'd be here all day um, fleshing out this text with all these different cross-references. I'm okay with that, but I know that for some reason, online participation shrinks the attention spans, and so uh, we won't be here all day. I'm gonna just focus on one element there's two components to one element. Um, one essential component of true Christian discipleship. And we're going to focus on that. Um, there's, there's two things that we need to be growing on. One component and then the reason to be excited about it. So two things that we need to be focusing on as a church for us to grow in authentic fellowship. So we'll be looking at Philippians 4, 14 through 20. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for you. You've given yourself to us. You created us for fellowship. You have enjoyed fellowship with yourself, Father, Son, Spirit, um, from eternity past, and will enjoy fellowship in and of, of yourself uh, through eternity future. Um, and you've created us to enter into that. But, but we walked away in our rebellion. We said we would rather have stuff 
We would rather have our own autonomy and self-glory than to participate in fellowship with you. And so I thank you, God, that you sent your son uh, to, uh, to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, our rebellion against you, where we put ourselves on your throne and tried to move you off of it. Um, and so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for dying to pay the penalty of that um, and to break the power of that so that we can enter into fellowship with you once again, a, a true, authentic, deep fellowship. And that because of that, we can also have a true, authentic, and deep fellowship uh, with one another. And so, Holy Spirit, as we uh, prepare to open your word, we ask that you would go ahead and you would prepare the soil of our hearts. Help us to hear well uh, so that we will be transformed uh, by this living word. We want to be more like Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, um, teach us, guide us into all truth. Magnify Jesus in our eyes this morning. Make us more like him. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray for Jesus' glory. And we know that we will benefit uh, when you are glorified, God. Amen. Okay, so Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Paul says this, yet so there's something before that, which is why I need to cheat and go back. But yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to give you the first point right off the bat. You might be tempted to turn things off once you get it, uh, but there's more coming. Um, and this is, this is going to be a nail that we're going to be pounding for the next couple hours anyway. Just kidding. Um, and it's this. Authentic Christian fellowship means participating in each other's troubles. Authentic Christian fellowship means participating in the troubles of our brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, where do I get fellowship from there? Well, that word share, uh, the root of that word is koinonia, which, which quite frankly means fellowship. Um, and so this word share means to participate in or to share in, essentially to fellowship. Uh, and in this case, it's in Paul's trouble. Um, so fellowship, if, if we think of it, the Fellowship of the Ring, J.R. the first uh, book in J.R. Tolkien's great trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. It's called The Fellowship of the Ring because they got to get this ring and they got to throw it back into the fire that it was forged in so that they can destroy it because the Dark Lord Sauron wants this ring and he wants to uh, rule over the world. This ring will give him the power to rule over the world and do as he pleases and push darkness and evil everywhere. And so nine companions come together, uh, a bunch of humans, a bunch of hobbits, I think a, an elf, a dwarf, and a wizard. They get together, an unlikely crew, and they enjoy a fellowship, 
an association, a friendly association that is pushing in the same direction or that's sharing an interest. That's what a fellowship is. They, they want to destroy the ring. They're all united in that and they're going to help each other do that. We're a Feb church, a fellowship of evangelical Baptist church. Uh, and what that means is we are part of an association of churches that share interest together. Uh, we share interest in advancing the gospel. So we help each other to grow churches and plant churches and disciple people uh, because we're a fellowship. And so, uh, so fellowship means that we are a friendly association and Christian fellowship means more than that. We are a loving association of people who share the same interests, okay? We share the interests of God and we share the interests of each other. And so or Christian fellowship means participating in each other's troubles. That's the heart of fellowship. No matter what life brings along, especially and particularly suffering and trouble, we participate in that with each other. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So verse 15, you see that there. Um, uh, from the very beginning, when Paul first shared the gospel with them, um, no church entered into partnership with him. Entered into partnership. There's another word that has that koinonia root. It's about fellowship. No church fellowshipped with me. Well, fellowshipped in what? Fellowshipped uh, in giving and receiving. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. The giving and receiving part, part literally translates in the matter of giving and receiving. So giving and receiving is, it's a, it's a thing, it's an issue, it's a logistical reality. There's the matter of giving and receiving. So we're partnershiping together, but then there's the matter of giving and receiving within that partnership or within that fellowship. And so he says, even in Thessalonica, this is verse 16, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So what are we participating in? Well, we're participating in trouble, but what does that look like? That looks like sending help for my needs once and again. The matter of giving and receiving is about helping. It's about meeting needs. Um, in, in this context, it's material. Paul had some things that he received. I don't, we don't know what it was. It might have been food. It might have been uh, uh, some articles of clothing. He was, uh, he was probably in a cold jail. Um, he was alone. He was hungry. He admits that earlier on. So we don't know exactly what. It might have been money. It might have been, we, in North America, we think money right away first because um, our primary currency is money. Um, and the thing that's most on our mind is money. That might not be a good thing. That might be an idolatry thing, uh, but that's not this particular sermon. So here, uh, meeting the needs is a material thing, but, but within the body of Christ, it's not, it's not always material that we need. It's not always material that we're giving. We have other gifts, and the purpose of our gifts is to meet needs in other people. It's to edify and build up other people and cause our brothers and sisters to flourish. Now, giving and receiving, uh, it's very important, and you see that in verse 16, um, enter, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Giving and receiving, it's not just giving. Giving and receiving is a two-way street. If we're just giving all the time, a lot of times that's actually the fruit of pride. 
I don't want to be seen as insufficient or I don't want people to know that I'm struggling in some sort of way. So I'm happy to give, but I don't want anybody to give to me. I don't want to receive anything because it makes me look weak. Well, I've got news for you. It, may, it might make you look weak, but it makes God look powerful. And, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so if we want to fellowship with God and we want to fellowship with one another, we've got to get past this idea of it's shameful to look weak. Because guess what? You look really weak when you try really hard not to look weak. Okay? So we need, we need to recognize that fellowship is about giving and receiving. Sometimes you give. I might have something that this person needs right now. I give. They might have something that I need later on. And so they give and our needs are all met to the glory of God. So sometimes you give, sometimes you receive. Now I want to say something that's very delicate right now. If you're in a position where you have need, tell someone. Take your request to God, right? Let your request be known to God. We studied that earlier. Bring your request to God and then tell somebody in the church so that we can be a body of authentically fellowshipping believers where we can meet those needs. We have a compassion ministry in our church, and the purpose of that is to meet the needs of brothers and sisters first and foremost. Do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. So we've got a ministry in our church. We want to meet needs. We want to meet needs. God is a God who meets needs, and we want to reflect that. So if you have a need, Talk to somebody. Let people help. Don't rob them of an opportunity to use what God has given for his glory in loving you. And I guarantee you, one of these days, it's going to be you giving to someone else because that's how God works. So this matter of giving and receiving is central to authentic Christian fellowship. Giving and receiving and it's to meet needs. It's not just shaking hands. It's not just smiling and being nice. It's not just sharing a brownie and a triangle sandwich. The idea is that we give and receive to meet needs. Have you ever, I got some questions for you. Have you ever had a need met, a really big one? Do you remember how you felt? It's like, wow, this need just got met. I, I don't even know how. Weren't you, weren't you filled with joy? Have you ever met a need, a big need? Do you remember how you felt when you met a big need? God used you to meet a need. Weren't you filled with joy? Now here's the next thing. What was the source of your joy? Was it your sufficiency to meet a need? See, this is what's really interesting. Paul is very excited to receive this gift from the Philippians. He was hungry. He was brought low. We know that from verses 12 and 13. So he was thankful for the gift. That's the whole reason he wrote the letter. The whole letter is actually a thank you letter. Hey, I got a bunch of stuff. Epaphroditus brought a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sending back a letter just saying, that was amazing. Like it ministered to my need. So he's not despising the gift. But his joy actually comes from somewhere else. Look at verse 10. This is where I got to back up. Sorry, Kyle. You did a great job. I just need this. <laughs> Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Okay, he rejoiced greatly. That now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that you revived your concern for me. In other words, I rejoice that you had an opportunity to express your concern for me. You were concerned before. You just didn't have an opportunity. I didn't have a need. You didn't know about it. You didn't have an opportunity to express your love and concern for me. And then he goes and he, he makes it, he just like makes it really clear. Not that I am speaking of being in need. So he says, I'm rejoicing, but it's about your concern. I'm not speaking of being in need. That's not the source of my joy. When I say I'm rejoicing, I'm not talking about the need. I'm thankful for the gift, but I'm not talking about the need. That's not the source of my joy. So he rejoiced greatly when he got the gift, but he was actually responding in joy to their concern. Their gift showed their concern. The gift showed their love. And so for us, as we become a church that gives and participates in the trouble of others and meets needs, we want to also be growing in the love that motivates the giving. That's what pleases God's heart. That's what really pleases God's heart. And for anybody who's discipling anybody, you want your disciple to grow in love. And we'll see why in a little, in a little bit here. If we move on to verse 17, so he just said, not that I'm speaking of the need. Right? He, he, was, he was pumped about the concern, the love that they were expressing, and the need became the way in which they expressed that love, so it became a fruit of that love. Then in verse 17, he, he uses the same, the same structure and says, not that I seek the gift. So 16, 15 and 16, he's talking about how, hey, you, were, you guys were giving time and time again. And then he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. So, um, so earlier, not that, I, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And then he says later, not that I... Uh, seek the gift, so it's not about the gift. Not that I seek the gift. What does he seek? But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's seeking fruit. Why? Why is Paul seeking fruit? Well, he's a gardener in a sense. He's a he's a vine dresser. So he sowed. Um, he sowed the gospel into the Philippian church. So he planted. He watered. He wants to see fruit filling their branches. Well, what kind of fruit? If we go back, this is again like the cross-referencing, so we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. I'm going to try to stay as, as much in the book as I can, um, but we're going to be going to a few different places. So he's seeking fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? Well, if you go back to chapter 1 and start in verse 9 and go to 11, Paul starts this letter with this prayer of thanksgiving with joy that he offers all the time. Um, and his prayer is this, that your love may abound, this is verse 9, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? Love with knowledge and discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent. So in other words, this is good for me. This is good for you. That's bad for me. That's bad for you. Let's go and do the good and let's put off the bad. So we need, we need love to abound um, and knowledge and discernment so that we can approve what is excellent and pursue those things. Think on those things. We just studied that as well in Philippians. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's concern is when Jesus comes back, how are his disciples going to present themselves? His prayer is for uh, love to abound more and more uh, with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
when we present ourselves to Jesus, when he returns, we're either going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness or we're not going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We're going to be filled with the fruit of unrighteousness. That's a very scary thing. So Paul sowed the gospel to the Philippians. And since we're talking about fruit, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Well, the Spirit sows fruit into us. When we receive Jesus, he gives us a new heart. And then the Spirit of God, who is given to us to dwell in us and guide us into all truth, to teach us and make us more like Jesus and point us to Jesus, he's actually sowing fruit into us, the fruit of the Spirit. He's producing this fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things, okay? And because of those things that are being fruited in us by the Spirit, we can now turn and manifest those things into, into the reality around us with tangible uh, fruits of righteousness. So we're clothed in Christ's righteousness when we give our lives to him and say, your sacrifice Uh, For me, you took my place in death and you were raised up again so so that I can give you my life and you can live through me. And so then he sends his spirit into us who produces fruit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things, so that we can then turn out and manifest the fruits of righteousness. We have a righteousness that we get from Christ and now we can live that righteousness out in the world. That's what Paul's looking for the fruit of righteousness, which is evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, which is evidence of regeneration, a life that has truly been brought back to the land of the living by the God of the living. So Paul's joy here is seeing the fruit of righteousness in this little church plant. He's excited about the gift. It blesses him physically. But Paul's more excited about the giving Because he sees it as a fruit of an authentic faith manifesting itself in authentic fellowship. And Paul is most excited about that fruit, that fruit of righteousness that's growing. Because he wants his kids to present themselves to Christ when he comes back pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's what we want to grow in that, don't we? We want to grow in this um, uh, stirring one another up, uh, considering how to stir one another up to love and good works. Why? Because we've been given to each other uh, to grow an authentic fellowship so that we can actually present each other and be presented to Jesus pure and blameless. So we want each other's fruit. We want the fruit of righteousness. Authentic Christian fellowship means participating in each other's troubles, giving and receiving to meet needs. It also means a focus on the fruit of righteousness in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, the famous love chapter. This is what he writes at the beginning of all of this. He just got finished talking about gifts in in chapter 12. And then he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to be able to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And hear this, if I give away all I have, if I give it all away, and I deliver my body up to be burned, so I literally give everything, 
but have not love, I gain nothing. You can give away everything and gain no credit in heaven if love is not the motivation. You can serve every day of your life and it means nothing if love is not the motivation. Paul knows that merely giving is not enough to have fruit that increases to our credit. It's gotta be motivated by love. You know what's scary? A whole life doing all kinds of things to earn the approval of people. And then in the end, we're forgotten quickly. A whole life of doing things, but a heart totally avoid of love for God and for his people. And that does nothing for us. You might as well keep it all. Just try to live your best life now. Because unless it's motivated by love, it doesn't mean anything. But Paul is excited about the giving because his number one desire is that his spiritual children be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus. Uh, 1 verse 11, that's, we, we, just, we read that already. I won't go back to that. But even with all the gifts, he would consider it a failure if they weren't pure and blameless in the day of Jesus. So we're not just about doing good things. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. We're about growing in fellowship with God, receiving his love and grace and having that fill us up and overflow into other people. And then, and if that is true of this church, and I believe that it is, then we go out. And, and because of the fruit of the Spirit that is ripening in us, we go out and we produce the fruit of righteousness and we, and we participate in each other's lives and meet needs. Okay? Uh, in in uh, Philippians 2.15, he says this, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That, that's Paul's heart right there. He's like, I want, you guys to be, I, I want you guys to be authentic children of God because the world needs light and God is the only light and God shines like light and his kids imitate him and reflect him. And so that's why he says, you shine like lights in the world. We need, church, we need to shine as lights in the world. We need to grow in that. We need to grow in that. So Paul sees genuine love driving authentic fellowship in, in, uh, in the giving of the Philippians. When they gave the gift, he says, this is authentic fellowship. I see it as the fruit of righteousness. And that's why he's joyful. That is what's driving his joy. And Paul echoes John. So the Apostle John, is, this is not just an Apostle Paul thing. Everybody who is growing in Christ, everybody who has an investment in another person, another Christian, another Christ follower, another person who is, who is striving toward that upward call uh, of God in Christ Jesus, everyone uh, should be about the fruitfulness uh, of, of their brothers and sisters. Um, so John, John is exactly the same way. He maybe puts it a little more succinctly. So 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Fruit is evidence of being a good tree. The Philippians' concern manifested itself in action and, that, and, and, and Paul sees that as fruit. And he would say with John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Only he's saying, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. And you're manifesting that in all of this uh, giving that is motivated by love. So authentic Christian fellowship, I told you I was just going to beat this, right? Authentic Christian fellowship means participating in each other's trouble as a fruit of righteousness, 
the righteousness that we have received from Jesus at conversion. See, humanity was created for good works. God created all the trees, all of the animals. Adam's naming animals. Uh, he's cultivating gardens. God says, this is good. Then God creates woman, joins woman with man, and says, now this is very good. This is exactly how this is supposed to be. Humanity is supposed to come together and, and bring life and, and, and bring all of uh, um, wilderness um, under subjection to God's rule, turn it all into garden, into a beautiful place. God is always working. Humanity is created for good works, which is an expression of authentic fellowship with God. Do you know when things went off the rails and humans stopped doing good work is when fellowship with God was broken, when we rebelled against God. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, and this is also Paul. He says, but we are saved for good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. So this is how this works. We see God for who he is and all of the things, the manifold goodness and blessings that he has, that he has bestowed on us in his son and in, and in restoring uh, peace between us and bringing us into fellowship with him again. We're given a new heart. So now we can produce good works. We don't work and try to produce good works so that we can have a new heart. We get the new heart first and then we are able to go out and produce good works. Um, so new heart and the fruit of the spirit, we've covered that already. Um, we can't help but produce good fruit. It's not legalism. We're not, we're not trying to obey the law to merit standing with God. We've got standing with God. He freely offers it in, in the gift of his son on, on, on the cross is death for our sin, um, breaking the penalty, or, uh, the penalty of sin, breaking the power of sin. So we can't help but produce good fruit. We're not doing it to earn favor. We're doing it because we've been given favor. So this isn't legalism. You know what's scary though? Professing to follow Jesus and seeing no fruit of repentance. We can profess to follow Jesus and we don't produce any fruit of repentance. We don't produce any fruit of righteousness. Why? Because we don't have the fruit of the Spirit. We don't have fruit that the Spirit is producing in us. Why is that? Because we don't have new hearts. We have not surrendered our lives to Jesus. We have not substituted our life for his. Oh, we can profess him. God even said, Israel, there's a time in their history. This is a people who draws near to me with their lips and their heart is far from me. Jesus said there will be many who come in the end when we're supposed to be presented pure and blameless. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, we did all these crazy things for you. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. We often say, hey, do you know the Lord? Yeah, yeah, I know the Lord. That may be irrelevant. The question is whether he knows you. Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these crazy things in your name. We did all this good stuff. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's scary. It's not just about good works. Unless those works are motivated by fruit of the Spirit because we've substituted our life for his and he now lives in us. Now there are some barriers to fellowship and fruitfulness, laziness, self-indulgence, just being weak in practice. Sometimes we're just weak. 
uh, a low awareness or fear. Paul deals with this in verse 19. I'm just going to cover these last two verses uh, uh, quickly. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So he says, look at my supply in verse 18. I've received full payment and more. So he sowed into the Philippians with the gospel and, uh, and, and, and he's received the fruit of it. Like he's, they're doing good things motivated uh, out of love for God and love for others. So he says, I've, been, I've received full payment. That's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I labored for. And now he's getting some gifts as well. So he says, I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says, and my God will take care of you in the same way. This is another way, like Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our true need. That's our true need. He'll supply the rest of it. By the way, if you don't have something, it's because you don't need it. God promises to supply all your needs. If you don't have it, it's because you don't need it. We, we grasp, we try to take things. Ah, you know what? I don't have this thing. I, I'm pretty convinced that I need it. We've, we've, we turn wants into needs really easily, right? We call that idolatry. And so we grasp for those things ahead of God. You know what the difference between trusting and testing God is? Testing is moving ahead of him and saying, oh God, now I'm in a bad spot. You got to take care of me. I'm in a bad spot financially or whatever because I went into debt, whatever it happens to be. Trusting God is, I don't have it. I don't need it. He promises to supply. I'll wait for him. Testing God reaches ahead of God. Trusting God waits for him because of his promise that he will supply all our needs. So if you don't have it, you don't need it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And finally, in verse 20, Paul erupts in doxology, in praise and glory to God because our working and living and loving ought to erupt in doxology in our own hearts, and in the hearts of others who see us. Again, Jesus, Matthew 5, Jesus is all over this text. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men, before people, that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The whole purpose for us, doing good works, the whole purpose of that is that God will be glorified. See, when we pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, and he adds all these things to us. What we demonstrate, and when we trust him, when we wait for him instead of testing him and moving ahead of him, what we demonstrate is he's everything that we want, everything that we need. Our total satisfaction and our total joy is found in him. And that is a powerful sermon to preach with our lives. You'll say, man, how? What? This God must be a surpassing worth because you're willing to give up everything for him. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So that's what Paul says here. So just to close here, authentic Christian fellowship means participating in each other's troubles, meeting each other's needs as a fruit of the righteousness of Christ in us that he's given to us. It's more than simply social time. But I know that sometimes it's hard to remember sermon outlines. And so I just want to summarize this all into one word because one word actually covers this all. Um, our fellowship, our participation in trial and sanctification of each other is, that, is a product of love. And it actually proves that our love is genuine. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We, we imitate him when we, when we give to meet needs out of what God has given us. We become a little bit more poor so that other people might become rich. Okay? Jesus, because of this great love, he left the riches and the comforts of heaven. He participated in our trouble by becoming one of us in order to meet our great need, which is peace with God. If we don't have peace with God, it means it's because we're at enmity with God. When we rebel against God, we're declaring to God, I'm at war with you. But God opposes the proud. It's not just, he's not just neutral toward us. There's no neutrality. We're either for him or we're against him. And when we're against him, we say, uh, we say I'm at war with you. You don't want to be at war with an infinitely powerful being. It's a bad plan. But Jesus left the riches and comforts of heaven, participated in our trouble by becoming one with us in order to meet our great need of peace with God by paying the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus died in our place, a perfectly sinless being. So he is sufficient to pay for the sins of the infinite sins of everybody who just receives that gift. And he breaks the power of sin because he was raised back to life. He didn't deserve death. He was perfectly sinless. And so he was raised back to life. And so we don't have to serve sin. And we don't have to produce the fruit of unrighteousness. We can produce the fruit of righteousness that benefits others and actually increases to our account. What we do here in the power of the Spirit of God translates into the eternal. And so we can live forever and we can enjoy the riches and the comforts of heaven when this life is over. See, this is the crazy thing. It's so awesome. Jesus left heaven to win it for us, to win heaven for us. Or actually, Jesus left heaven to win us for heaven. Isn't that incredible? He didn't have to do that, but he did. This is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. You believe Profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and then set to work producing the fruit of righteousness because of the fruit of the spirit that God produces in us. This is the glory of God. This is the love of God. This ought to compel us to act like him. We don't love to win people to our church. We don't love and do good in order to win people to our friend circles. We don't love to win the favor of God. We have the favor of God in Christ. And so we love because God is love and we are his children and children reflect their daddy. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Not a new commandment I give you, colon, that you love one another. That's an old command, love one another. The new command is this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another or so that you love one another, colon, just as I have loved you, you also ought to, ought to love one another. So we're supposed to love the way Jesus loved us. Remember, leaving the riches of heaven so that by his poverty, we might become rich. And then Jesus says this, John 13, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know what the greatest evangelistic tool is? We want to be a church that evangelizes, right? You know what the greatest evangelistic tool is? Loving each other. How? Well, we love each other, right? Loving each other like Jesus loved us. 
That's the greatest evangelistic tool that we have. So by God's grace, may we be a people, a church that doesn't just shake hands and smile at people, but would, would we be a people that participates in the troubles of each other with a heart of love that is producing the fruit of righteousness so that we reach out and meet needs just like our real dad and our elder brother in the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us. Paying that debt that we cannot pay. Father, we know that the we know that a moral life cannot separate or cannot bridge what separates us from you on our own. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for 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 entering into our trouble, for participating in our trouble. And meeting our greatest need, which is peace with God. And now I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our midst, that you would work in our church, work in each of our hearts, Lord. Raise us up into a people that understands authentic fellowship and has fellowship with you that overflows into fellowship with one another. Would we be a church that loves deeply? And would you use us to meet each other's needs and to meet the needs of our community, God? a community that desperately needs to know the God of fellowship who has made a way for us to fellowship with him once again. Take us out, Lord. Grow us. Drive us into your word. Drive us into each other's lives. Give us great humility to be able to ask for help when we need it. Give us great love to willingly give the help that we've been given for others. Make us more like you as Moses prayed. Take us as your possession. Make us more like you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name for Jesus' glory.